Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're about to get jumped. Welcome to episode 209 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood episodes 55 through 57 and reading the first three chapters of Nisekoi, where in one, you have a whimsical forced romance plot in the context of the mafia, and in the other, you have a deadly serious attempted coup to stop a megalomaniac from committing genocide. You just gotta do what you gotta do, and sometimes, sometimes you promise people that you're going to be recording an episode about a young boy who has psychic powers and just loves to work out with his friends, but instead, instead you're gonna get Full Metal Alchemist, and we're, we're sorry about that. Anyways, let's jump in. I don't know why you have have the need and, frankly, the gall to call me out like that. The fucking Fra- audacity. Frankly, <laughs> the gall. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, we. It's so funny when you like make stupid mistakes like that because we've been doing this podcast for uh, a thousand years. I think <laughs> is the answer. Yeah. Uh, when did we start? What's today is a, is the 29th of November in 2022. Our first episode was recorded in May of 2017. Goddamn, uh, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> and so when you do something, and we're so still st- terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say when you do something so stupid as to just put the wrong data point on your notes. When your sort of like notes are set up in such a way that it's basically an algorithm. You just click the thing at point A and put it in point B and it it should be foolproof, but not against these fools. Yeah. And too ba- it's just a too bad stupid- Blake's too, too big of a dumb bitch to do it. <laughs> I finished watching Full Metal Alchemist today. I was like, ah, oh, those episodes were great. What a cliffhanger. And then Spencer texts and was like, wait, are we watching Mob Psycho or Full Metal? I looked at my notes. I was like, I can't believe I did this. It's so easy not to make this mistake. And I still did it. I can't believe you've done this. Oh, fuck. I saw Knives Out over Thanksgiving. By the way, Thanksgiving happened for people in, I think, just America, right? I don't think anybody else does things to me. Uh, I think Canada's thing. Canada's does Thanksgiving too, but at a different date. Yeah, I thought they had their different Thanksgiving. They they have a different set of things for which they give thanks, and so they were like, "Nah, we're gonna do our own thing." Um, but yeah, we uh, we had we had American Thanksgiving, and uh, I saw Knives Out uh, or uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. It's good. It's only in theaters yeah. for a week, so I think I by the time seen... you hear this, you can't see it, but it comes out on Netflix on like December 23rd, so you can watch it then. I haven't seen the original Knives Out before. Uh, I've heard good things. but You haven't seen it? It's so good. It's so good. I, it was on Amazon Prime, and now that Netflix has a big deal with Ryan Johnson for the... For he, they made a, a deal with him for two more Knives Out movies, so this is the first of two in the deal. And uh, I would assume that Knives Out is is moving or has moved to Netflix. I, I have a phone. I can check this. But uh, I remember watching it recently not on Netflix. Nice. Yeah. Blake's Knives like, fuck out. that. I can't read. <laughs> Knives Out doesn't look like it's on Netflix, but the sequel has its... The sequel's information is there, and it's... Uh, it's, you know, they've got trailers set up for it because it is a Netflix original. Which was very strange to see at the beginning of a movie in theaters. Mm. Um, and then I'm going to go. So if you guys don't know, justwatch.com is a very handy resource where you can go look up films uh, or TV shows and it will tell you ah, where you can watch them. Films. <laughs> yeah. So justwatch.com in the United States. It looks like Knives Out is currently not streaming. It's only for rent or purchase. Uh, so that's a bummer. But I bet that it will show up on Netflix pretty soon because of that big deal. That doesn't have anything to do with anime, but I, I thought I'd throw that in there. How is it? How's your Thanksgiving? It's, it's fun. It was Thanksgiving. I'm working a lot yeah. right now because we're in this the, was, of the peak season. So, was this your first Thanksgiving with two bebés? 
Yes. Yeah, wait. that's what I thought. No. And, and, <laughs> wait, no, because no. the one, the younger one I thought was less than a year older. Is that not true anymore? Yeah, he's he's a year old now. But oh, okay. He, at, at his original Thanksgiving, he was he was pretty brand spanking new. Yeah, he was like, ah, is there a holiday? <laughs> <laughs> Just showing up pre-drunk, being like, let's go. Let's party like it's <laughs> it's a it's a place we want to buy a hat from. <laughs> um, I I drove well. My husband and I drove to Austin, Texas. That's where his sister lives, and his parents drove down from Des Moines, Iowa, and we all had a family convergence on like a really cool Airbnb there. And we hung out, we all brought our dogs, and it was a really good time. And uh, it was a really fucking long drive. We went, we visited her in Austin. It's like 15 and a half hours plus a time change. Uh, and we visited her in Austin in like April or May or something. And we were like, man, that drive didn't feel that long. And that it was not true this time. It felt so long both ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the Thanksgiving was good. <laughs> yeah. Driving. Driving a really long way as somebody who has recently been to Disney World is not always the best. <laughs> it's just no. so fucking far. Well, oh, man. <laughs> I remember when we drove back from Anime Central and it was mm-hmm. like we were going to stop in the middle because this was before his parents lived in Des Moines. And so there was no like prearranged midpoint between like Chicago and uh, at the time I lived in Cheyenne. And uh, you were like, let's just drive through. And I was like, that's crazy. And you're like, let's just drive through. And you like had me tell you the plot of Animorphs so I could stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like super memorable and like a really genuinely good trip. And I like I remember that we drove that whole way because it was so different than, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I remember the drive out, but not as vividly. But it was just yeah. like it was tough. Was it's just tough. because you love animorphs. <laughs> I do. I do love animorphs. Uh, I I blame animorphs for the reason I like to read, and I think it's a phenomenal series. And I finally, I finally finished it. I think shortly before that convention. I was wonder. I was thinking the other day, when did I finally finish animorphs? Because I started reading it. I picked it up at a at a like book fair in elementary school. And so it was very very young and and pretty formative. When I started reading, I think before that I was like into boxcar children and then it must have been like third or fourth grade. I picked up Animorphs and that was my shit from then on. And boxcar children. Like, yeah, you remember like, boxcar children? No, nobody remembers. What? That. Nobody okay, had on. heard okay. of this before. So I think so. First of all, Animorphs, I loved it. And then we had the subscription. We got like two or three books in the mail a month because they would release those things in an astonishing clip. And then we got into the low 30s and they stopped coming and there was like no communication. And of course, this was like pre-internet days. So we just had no idea. Like we didn't hear from them. We couldn't figure out who it was that had been sending it to us to like renew our subscription or whatever. And what then a we weird like, fucking thing to say. They're like, right? they're like, books have been coming in the mail and you're just like, from who? Uh, fuck knows who. Well, it was, it was probably direct from Scholastic or something because it was through the Scholastic Book Fair. And that was who published Animorphs. And, uh, but we just didn't have any of that information because we've been getting them for multiple years at this point. And then all of a sudden with no warning or communication, they just stopped coming. And mm. so then we like, we, I remember going out to bookstores and looking for them, but we like couldn't find them. Or maybe the ones in the stores were like a few ahead. And you know me, I will not skip I'm not going to read number 37. If the last one I read was number 33, I won't fucking do it. And so like, then we just stopped getting them and we stopped being able to find them and we never finished it. And then like uh, when I lived in Chicago, I bought all of them and uh, finally got around to finish reading them. Like probably a little bit before we went to ASIN and yeah, uh, it's a great book series, but those last couple it's, you don't, you don't expect it in a series aimed at children it's very unsettling yeah um boxcar children is also a series published by scholastic much younger aged i think it's a uh, i think it's a a family of four i want to say 
uh, it's kind of kind of Chronicles of Narnia rules. You have like two older siblings and two younger, and in each older and younger pair, there's a boy and a girl. I think that's right. And they're orphans, and it's I don't know. It's like you know, it's the twenties or or sometime in the past when being an orphan was like particularly bad, uh, and they I think they escape the orphanage. Uh, because their like long lost relative is coming to get them and they have heard bad things and they flee into the woods and they find an abandoned boxcar on a disused bit of track and they spruce it up and make it a home. And the first book is basically about them developing a house in the woods in an abandoned boxcar and creating systems to like wash their clothes and get food and shit like that. Um, and I love that stuff. I think that's so interesting. Like any, any like family Robinson or law, you know, what was it? Land of the lost. I think where they're like setting up camp and, and creating like a homestead. I, I'm just completely charmed by that kind of stuff. And so I loved that. And then at the end of the book, like they they spend some time dodging their I think it's their uncles, uh, people that are looking for them because he's like super rich. So he's got people looking for them. And eventually they are found. And it turns out that the uncle is super fucking cool and has like an unlimited amount of money. And so then the rest of the Boxcar Children series is them going to various vacation locales and solving mysteries. And it's like a knockoff nancy drew or like hardy, hardy situation boys, yeah. but the first one is set up camp in the woods it's totally different i'm not sure if there's a mystery but it's very much not about that uh so I, i'm not sure that it's counts fully as a swerve but yeah that was a good one i remember reading that a lot in second grade i had a lot of those books too but uh but yeah animorphs was my thing hey do you want to talk about anime yeah tell me about uh the terrible thing that we read this week oh uh, well first of all let me give you this news that I found earlier yesterday, I think. Uh, it's an article from two days ago as we record this on the 27th of November, 2022. Attack on Titan gives an update on its final season's return. This is from comicbook.com. So I'm not up to date on Attack on Titan, and I keep thinking it's already over, and it's not. Uh, but oh, yeah. <laughs> two two paragraphs from the end now that ending is preparing to make its way on the screen attack on titan plans to resume season four at the start of 2023 uh so if you need to catch up on the series you can find the whole anime streaming on hulu and crunchyroll to right now so hulu and crunchyroll according to comicbook.com right as of this you know recording are the places you can go watch attack on titan and it sounds like they maybe cut season four into multiple parts at least in half or maybe in multiple halves. Cause I, I sure as hell thought it was mm-hmm. over. Um, but apparently these are the last episodes for sure this time. And they're yeah. coming in early 2023 and all the ones that have happened already. You can, you can watch them on one of those two streaming platforms or both. Yeah. I don't care. This time <laughs> we believe that it's going to be over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot to update this on the notes too, but I know what we we read this week. We read Nisekoi, N-I-S-E-K-O-I. That uh, wasn't suggested by anybody. It was just, uh, I wanted a manga this week. I pulled that off of the randomized list of manga that are available to read on Shonen Jump. And uh, this is actually a manga that I have been reading in my free time. Mm. And I, I've read uh, quite a bit of it. I'm trying to see where where I am. Uh, Nisekoi. Uh, I've read 22 chapters of Nisekoi. And it goes for a long time. Yeah. Um, it runs... Jeez, uh, full chapter list. New, 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 new. It goes for 229 chapters. Wow, I'm almost 10% of the way through. That is astonishing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. It goes for okay. a really long time, y'all. And... I started reading it and I was just like, this is this is fun Yakuza slice of life sort of ish stuff. Um, it starts to take a little bit of a turn by the third episode. I swear to God, when I start the third chapter, when I started reading the first chapter, I was like, oh, it's Mafia Ro- Romeo and Juliet. Did you think that it too when you started of. it? 
Yeah, that's basically basically it. It's two two middle schoolers who meet each other and have hatred in their hearts for one another, but they also come from warring mafia families. And in order to stop an all-out gang war in the city, they pretend like they are secretly in love. And so they are sort of in a public relationship that they're pretending about, but they they secretly hate each other. And also, at least the guy in the relationship has the hots for a girl in his class. And so now his crush is being stymied by the situation, which is publicly known in school. Yeah. Uh, and so there's sort of a there's that sort of like forced romance trope and there's that there's a lot of like pining for each other because it's pretty clear that like the the main guy and the girl he has a crush on both like each other but neither of them has said that to each other uh but now they're kind of being kept apart by the situation it's got a lot of romance trope things and Mm -hmm. i I would say for me this feels a little bit less like a slice of life i mean it is ultimately you know with big asterisk next to it somewhat grounded in slice of life scenarios but i I would say that this is romance and romance may we can argue over whether or not romance is is sort of like a segment of slice of life or if there is a you know venn diagram with a lot of crossover but yeah for me i felt like this was much more just sort of firmly in the romance zone and so it was a lot less about like living the day-to-day life with them and a lot more about like setting up scenarios that would cause tension or comedy in the, or, 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 you know, romance in the uh, grand scheme of romantic uh, ness. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a fun term for it. Let's just call it romanticness. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We were looking at this. Okay. So it's another tangent, but we listened to the lost world the book on on our trip and pete kept showing me this meme you know the meme format where there's like the woman and it's like she goes the what and it like zooms in really close on her face no oh no <laughs> uh, okay well I i'm don't. gonna text it to you because it's fucking hilarious but uh there's a there's a meme based on exact dialogue from the lost world anyway uh one of the one of the the what's is like an old timey ad or like box for some peas like some you know little green peas and it's like taste the p-ness p-e-a hyphen n-e-s-s and then it's just the woman going the what (laughs) oh now i now i now i definitely know what you're talking about no i don't (laughs) i'm gonna send it to you i promise Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to send you this, but yeah. Uh, okay, so you, it doesn't sound like you loved this. Is that right? Yeah, uh, okay, so it it wasn't, it wasn't like the worst thing that I have ever read. It's, it's, it's just not, it's not exactly what I, you know, what I'm, I'm sold on for most of the time, you know? It's, yeah. it's just kind of, it's just kind of fine, you know? I think that's where I sit on it. Yeah, I would... I would agree, but more positively for me. I don't read a lot, you know, as, as we've discussed a thousand times on here, mostly the anime we are interested in, the manga we're interested in, is shonen. And I honestly don't, I, I can't think of a single shonen anime where I felt that there was a romantic plot line that worked for me. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it didn't work for me. Like, I think maybe the one that springs to mind, I know this is my example that I go to all the time. The best one I can think of is My Hero Academia, where Deku has a very believable middle school crush on Ochako, and she has a very believable middle school crush on him. And I find that to be relatively charming because it's not super perved out, and they're not, like... It's not Hinata and Naruto, which I think is a, a good example of why these things don't usually work for me, because Hinata is so shy that she can't function in society at all. Despite the fact that she's a super competent ninja, she like can't speak to, to or around Naruto. She's incapable. And mm-hmm. Naruto is oblivious. And naruto has a crush on sakura that's a whole other thing sakura has a crush on you know sasuke and it's just like none of this matters i think 
I think arguably the crush on Nar- the crush Naruto has to Sakura can be interesting because he grows out of it naturally and just starts thinking of her as a comrade and it really isn't commented on. And I think there's something to be said there, but I think that's less of a clever writing situation than it is just a plot line getting dropped. And then, you know, there's definitely some, some interesting emotional color added into the sequence when Sasuke leaves the village and Sakura's heartbroken in part because she always dreamed that they would get together and they, and now he's like leaving and, you know, it's like, it doesn't do nothing, but it's just like, it's so not what the story is about. And it's not handled particularly competently. I think My Hero Academia gets away with it because they spend almost no time on it. And when they do bring it up, it's it doesn't feel shoehorned in. It doesn't feel like a, a, a character trait the author was like, ah, we'll have them be into each other. It, it feels like they're actually into each other. And I like that. And I don't need much more of it. Like, I'm not waiting for them to get together. I'm not waiting for romantic drama between the two of them because that's not why I'm watching My Hero Academia. And in a grander sense, it's not why I'm coming to anime at all. I I don't mind the romance genre and I'm particularly interested in the romance genre when it is a story about like gay men. That totally does it for me. But otherwise, romantic, uh, romantic films, romantic comedies... I can kind of take it or leave it. it. It sort of depends on who's in it and what the trailers look like. Uh, but it's not a it's not a genre like a superhero genre is going to get my attention just because I love superheroes. Romance is not going to do that. And that goes double for anime because I generally find that the cultural differences in how boys and girls talk to each other and interact and how courtship works in Japan it goes really against uh my sensibilities for how sort of like healthy relationships are formed and they find it to be very grating um i will say having read so much of this which is because i i have a list of things that i'm reading and i put it in a random order and this one came up i did not pick it and i probably wouldn't have picked it uh but i think it's pretty decent uh i I said that whole thing the whole lead up about me not liking romance anime to say that like my opinion might not hold a ton of weight because I haven't read a bunch of these and I don't have a lot of experience in this field. Uh, So I don't have a lot of romantic manga or anime to compare this to. But what little experience I've had just in this storytelling space, I think it's using these tropes well. I think it's continually inventing new ways to make the scenario interesting 22 chapters in, I'm still having like moments of surprise and intrigue as far as like how these characters are developing around each other and how the sort of like romantic interests established at the beginning of the story have been warped around different circumstances and scenarios. Um, I just think if you're into anime uh, or if you're into romantic manga, this is probably a pretty good one. Uh, if you're curious about it, like if if somebody asked me like, hey, recommend me a romance nom- manga, one, I'm not sure I could think of another one, but I would I would not feel any qualms about recommending this to them. So I, it's definitely not for me, but I'm reading it because I have a compulsive desire to consume things. And it is one of the things that came up on my list of consumables. And I never want to read it as much as I'm looking forward to reading more like of the shonen stuff that I'm also reading. But given that it's not what I would reach for and it's not necessarily what I'm in the manga space to see, I'm reasonably happy to be reading it when I am reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's a short manga series. It's two over 200 chapters, only 20 episodes uh, for the, sorry for the, not the manga for the anime. So you can watch it, but I'm confident that it will not finish the story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we also have Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood episodes to talk about. Uh, let's, let's go ahead it. and get into those. Blake, what's happened previously on Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? Um, there's alchemy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There's alchemy. Thank you, Blake, for and now that. You're ready. <laughs> just a beautiful segue into episodes. What if I'm we just... just left it at that, Blake? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, 
Well, I think some of our listeners genuinely don't like they skip through our previously on segments. So probably a lot of people would not be bothered, but um, yeah, I just, there's so much going on in this story. It keeps getting more complicated. So it's hard to summarize. And of course, like one of the main characters is about, it's a story about two brothers and (laughs) every fucking time that joke from Rick and Morty gets in my head. Uh, but one of the, they are the main characters. There's plenty of other, just two brothers. It's just two brothers. <laughs> there's, there's, um, there's so many people that are not the two brothers that have become main characters. And like, we all know that this story centers around these two and what they are doing and what they're trying to accomplish. These, and the other these characters, two what, these two, what fuck you, <laughs> So these two siblings and two brothers it's just called it's just called two brothers <laughs> but what, the, what they're trying to accomplish is the core of this story but there are so many other people that have risen to sort of like co-main character because of how sort of like sprawling and epic this story is and then like ironically in these episodes like one of the brothers only shows up basically for like a brief flash at the end of the third episode that we watched today so it, my, what I'm getting at is it's hard to summarize what's going on. But uh, basically, Ed and his brother Al, they made a a mistake using the sort of anime magic system of alchemy, where they tried to bring somebody that had died back to life. Uh, this was forbidden. They thought it was forbidden because people are bad at alchemy, but it was actually forbidden because doing so opens a doorway to some other dimension that's not cool. And uh, it, it fucked him up. It left Ed with only one arm and one leg remaining. So these days he has prosthesis for the ones that he lost. And then Al lost his entire body. And uh, Ed had to bind his soul to a suit of armor using a blood seal. So they have been searching for this thing called the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone allows you to get around the rules of alchemy so you can do big things without having to pay big things to do them. And uh, they were going to use this to get their bodies back to normal. Unfortunately, they have found out a couple of bad things about the Philosopher's Stone. The main one is that the Philosopher's Stone is made of people. It is Soylent Green. So uh, you make a Philosopher's Stone. It's not a mythical thing. It's a real thing that you can make. But you make it by uh, basically consuming a lot of living people, uh, generally speaking, a lot of unsuspecting living people. And what you get is a is a big stone. And it's it's not really and I don't know that they've ever said this explicitly. But what I've basically inferred from watching the show is that you're not you're not getting around equivalent exchange. You're just prepaying equivalent exchange with the the highest value thing you can do, which is a human life, and you're doing it in bulk. So you're going Costco version of alchemy. You get a prepaid Costco card, and you're like, I'm going to alchemize. And that's, that's what the Philosopher's Stone is. So they don't feel particularly good about the idea of using the Philosopher's Stone to fix them anymore. But they also found out that there is a group of villains working in the shadows of their country called Amestris. And this group of villains would like to create another Philosopher's Stone. And in fact, a bigger one than the one they've done before by turning the entire country of Amestris into a Philosopher's Stone. I'm not sure if this like catches all the, you know, fields on the outskirts of the, the country, but it's covering most of it, if not all of it. Uh, that's bad because they and everybody they love live in a mistress and they don't want them to die being turned into a power grab by some, you know, semi-immortal villains. Uh, speaking of which, the villains are semi-immortal because they are homunculi. They are human-like beings that were created using alchemy. They all have philosopher stones in them. And so when you kill them, you basically burn up one of the souls in the Philosopher's Stone and they regenerate. So in order to actually get rid of them for goodsies, you have to kill them like a bunch of times so that their stone can't replenish itself. And then they finally, you know, Thanos dust away. Um, So right now in Central, which is the central city and indeed capital city of Amestris, we have Ed and Al uh, in various states of conflict with the villains 
Uh, Al was just in a big fight, uh, kind of on the outskirts of the city. And like I said, he doesn't really show up in these episodes. So he, he's just been, been busy fighting and he's probably heading in toward where the main fighting is. Ed is in the sewers beneath the city where he has, uh, met up with another main character, Colonel Mustang and a small group of allies. And, uh, after Colonel Mustang was about to turn super, super murder villainous in the last episode, they talked him off the ledge. Um, they are, they're sort of down there dealing with a wandering band of undead, essentially zombies. They're called mannequin soldiers. Uh, they're similar to homunculi because alchemy kind of created them, but they're not made to be like facsimile humans. They're just made to be sort of like mindless humanoid killing machine army. And so they're, they're around and, uh, they are also similarly difficult to kill. And, uh, there's also a group of, well, okay, so Mustang wants to take over the country. Part of the reason he wants to do this, one, it's been his ambition for a long time, but we've also learned that the current ruler of the country, which is a guy named Fuhrer King Bradley, uh, he is secretly a homunculus himself, and he is secretly working with the Shadow Organization villains to turn the rest of the country into stone. And uh, so Mustang has decided that now is his moment as part of stopping their big plan because they are right on the cusp of what's called the promised day, which is when the villains are going to try and launch this attack and turn everybody into a Philosopher's Stone. Mustang is using this as an excuse to enact a coup and to uh, assert himself as leader of the country. Uh, conveniently, Fuhrer King Bradley was in a train accident somewhere out in the country and is presumed dead. I think presumed by everybody not in the audience of the show. Everybody was like, man, he survived more than this, but uh, he has not been seen in quite a few episodes and has been presumed dead by the characters in the show for that time. Um, so there's there's currently no ruler, and it's basically the, the military of the country has been sort of schismed between people who think that Mustang should be the new ruler and people who are a little bit more sycophantic to the, the order that has been. Uh, there's also a group from Briggs, which is a, a fortress in the north. They are led by Olivier Armstrong, who's the baddest bitch around. She has brought them here to help with the coup, essentially, uh, because she, through a series of other plot points, was brought in to the villainous shadowy conspiracy uh to a group of people who are you know normal military folk who have learned about at least part of the conspiracy and believe that they will become like immortal in this new world order and they thought that olivier because she has a reputation as a hard ass would be into that but her hard assery comes from a deep held code of ethics and so she like immediately turned on them basically she like let them tell her their entire plan and then murked them and uh she has now found herself the target of the villains they have sent the homunculus sloth after her who is a big strong boy and uh her brother who i mean they're both last name armstrong but their brother i can't remember his first name he usually is just called Armstrong and she's Olivier Armstrong. They are fighting together against the big homunculus, but also some of the mannequin zombie soldiers are pouring into the room. So things are kind of desperate for them. Uh, and like at the la end of the last episode, Izumi, which is Ed and Al's old former teacher, showed up to assist in the battle against this, the central forces. Uh, and she showed up, I think, in the same place as Olivier and Armstrong. So she has just appeared. Uh, and also, oh, God, uh, there's father and Hohenheim. Hohenheim is Ed Nell's dad. Uh, he was turned into a living philosopher's stone a long time ago when he was tricked by the character that now looks exactly like him and goes by the name Father, who was a homunculus. Uh, that, you know, tricked him into thinking he was helping the homunculus be free of its cage. And instead, it, you know, turned an entire civilization into a philosopher's stone and made itself functionally immortal, while at the same time making their dad functionally immo immortal. And now Hohenheim and Father have been sort of working behind the scenes to enact their various schemes. Father trying to, you know, turn another city into a stone and Hohenheim trying to organize some sort of resistance against that. He is now down in the, the base of operations confronting Father and trying to stop him from doing that. 
And I think that's basically everything you need to know. Oh, God, there's Greed. Greed is uh, another homunculus who was previously killed but brought back to life, put into the body of a ruler from another country across the way. And that uh, that ruler has a ninja sidekick named Fu. It's like a ninja bodyguard. And uh, they are also going to be relevant here in these episodes. So uh, that's got to be it, right? That's got to be it. There's so much other oh stuff. Oh, my on, God. I think that's it for these three. Let's go. Area. Let's go, Let's go into episode 55, The Adult's Way of Life, where while in the middle of a fight, uh, the Armstrongs are having a very difficult time dealing with Sloth. However, Azumi and her husband are going to swing into the fight in order to swing the battle into the direction that they want, ultimately defeating Sloth, but not before the most important adult man with giant peck relationship will be uh, established in this show. They're so just going to flex. They're like so flexy at each other. And also yeah. like, let's touch each other's hands. And also like they, they were that meme of like those two big strong men with like beards, shaking hands <laughs> inside of this moment where they're just staring at each other, lovingly each other's eyes. Yeah. It's just that, a fucking great sequence. <laughs> I, I think Armstrong is presumed straight. And uh, Izumi's husband is a much more presumed straight because he's literally married to her. Uh, but, you know, bisexuality exists. So maybe one or both of them are bi. Or maybe Armstrong is, has been secretly gay this whole time. But I don't think that's what the story is trying to do. I don't think they are actually having a gay moment. Like, this moment is not intended by the story or the creator to indicate that they are sexually interested in each other. But when you watch it, it is really hard to read it any other way. And it's <laughs> happening in front of his wife. It's yeah. so weird. Eventually, Sloth is beaten down to the point where his body can no longer regenerate and he fades away. Uh, meanwhile, there's a battle in the basement between Father and Hohenheim. Who are just going to go back and forth and kind of, kind of, uh, father is just keeps on hitting Hohenheim with things. And Hohenheim is just like, stop, stop, just stop yeah. it. <laughs> Until he is doing the super powerful, totally in control of the situation version of like, I'm not going to fight you. I just want to talk. That's a pretty mm -hmm. fun sequence. And yeah, then yeah. father just does a sneaky move and stabs him in the back with his own fucking hand. So that yep. he can, like, pry the Philosopher's Stone from out of Hohenheim's body. It's crazy. Yeah. But instead, Hohenheim is just like, you want it, you got it. And he gives him some of the souls back. But they're it's specifically the souls that have regained consciousness within his body as part of the Philosopher's Stone. And they make Father start to go insane and also make it to where his body is trying to rip itself out of its skin shell. And so <sighs> Father's like, cool, fuck it. I'm just going to get out of my own body and uh, rip myself into like this like black, uh, like jet black uh, monster form that is just a a mouth and a black humanoid shaped body. And he also reveals to Father, he's like, do you think you can evolve? I can evolve too. And a giant eye opens up inside of the room, making it clear that maybe the body that we are seeing of Father is just another thing that he is trying to let somebody else see and this room and everything built around it is actually his other body that he's created because as the as the the homunculus originally said he couldn't exist outside of his his cage he couldn't exist outside of his flask when he was originally created so he's yeah. creating a larger and larger flask until he can become a perfect being yeah, it, it, there's also a cool aspect of like the whole soul's reawakening in the Philosopher's Stone, which is a genuinely horrifying thought the more you think about it. But one of the nice things and one of the sort of like, look, see how good this guy is, is that Hohenheim is like, yeah, I took the time to get to know the people in the stone, like all the people that we killed me unwittingly, uh, they're trapped in here. And as they've regained consciousness, I've been able to commune with them. And I'm not 100% clear on the mechanics of this, but it is essentially stated or implied that the fact that Hohenheim got to know these souls in the Philosopher's Stone 
And the fact that like their stones were created at the same time, so they're the souls are kind of like linked, or maybe like the souls of the people appear in both stones. I'm not completely sure how this works. But essentially, because Hohenheim was like, yeah, these were people, and I didn't realize we were sacrificing people, but in the in the aftermath of that, I was able to sort of treat them as people, and that has given me the ability to like overpower you in this moment. It's really cool. And yeah, like father turns the tr- turns the tide and reveals that like even if you destroy his body, you're not going to, nec- that's not going to be enough to beat him, but it is a cool moment. And it also has the, you know, result of the fact that like Hohenheim does not have his philosopher's stone ripped out. and is not like killed unceremoniously in this moment. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, um, meanwhile, the Briggs soldiers have taken over central and they are declaring victory only to have the moment snatched away from them. When Fuhrer King Bradley returns, leading us to episode 56, the return of the Fuhrer. So this episode actually starts out with something that we talked about just a second ago. It actually happens mostly in this episode where he reveals that he has been connected to these souls that are trapped inside of his body. And it turns out the reason why, or the reason why we are assuming that he can do this and he is starting to connect with them is because he was, um, Hohenheim was originally saved after running away from his, uh, his, his, I guess it's Xerxes is the, the place he was running from. I wasn't hundred yeah, percent sure he, how long I assumed he just sort of like stumbled into the desert and a fugue state mm-hmm. over what he had just been, you know, sort of tricked into doing and yeah. Then collapsed. Yeah. And he's saved by a, a traveling group of people from Shing. And so it's, it's starting to tie together what, what we can sort of assume inside of this world is a different way of teaching that Hohenheim may have learned from the people that are sh- from Shing. Yeah, because Shing has what's called alchemy, which seems to function very similarly to alchemy, but is enacted in in similar but slightly different ways. Such that if you had a character performing alchemy. And it wasn't called Algastry, you would be forgiven for being like, they are doing alchemy in a unique way. Uh, and so they're they're really similar, but in a major moment, we've seen alchemy get shut off, but Alcahestry was not. And what mm-hmm. little conversation there's been about the two seems to indicate a certain sort of like a belief pattern about where it comes from that influences how people who are alchemists utilize their alchemy versus those who are alkahestrists utilize alkahestry that gives alkahestry maybe like a different channel to utilize the same or similar abilities and powers such that when you know somebody like father tries to turn off your powers uh he might not have access to alkahestry because it's using a a different set of knowledge that he doesn't have um hey spencer zafira it's coming. The oh my God, is stop. coming. We're done. We're Hide done already with this. Oh my God. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, well, here's the other thing that's going to be happening. And it's, it's, it's pretty fucking important. The Fuhrer is, is coming, <laughs> is revealing that he is just insanely powerful to the point where nothing is going to stop him from getting to where he wants to go. Um, and he is going to uh, have a full on master chief moment where he is going to fight his way up a hill in uh, straight up, throw a, uh, a frag grenade inside of a tank and blow it up in order to get where he yeah. fucking wants to go. <laughs> it's that's a really good example like yeah he's totally master chiefing his way through but it feels bad man because he's the villain <laughs> and like he's he's master chiefing his way through a series of mooks so i'm not like emotionally invested in all the people he's bumping off here but i am emotionally invested in the people that they're working with and for and it does not feel great to just watch him mowing them down with relative ease like he spends mm-hmm. a few minutes on the tank, but he takes it out. Like it's pretty decisive. Yeah, it's basically, it's, like if this weren't such a fucking tank, I would have been done with this in seconds. But you know, I gotta work around the tank of it all. Oh yeah, that fucking moment too, where he just like stabs the guy through the hole in the side of the <laughs> tank, and he's and just then the like the other dude is like take his position. You're like, no man. <laughs> 
Why would I fuck? No, fuck you! You take his position. Yeah. Mind your business. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I would. I would have bailed. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, there's no bailing here because you're stuck in a tank, and a guy who wants to murder you is outside of it. So it's yeah. it's a real lose lose situation, and and they do. And Bradley basically is like cutting because he's like a master swordsman. He's also a homunculus, and one thing about the homunculi is they each have an ultimate something. Uh, you know, some some sort of like supercharged. It's basically the idea that they are like they contain a supercharged aspect of humanity. I think is sort of the the core idea behind it. Although of course it's very anime, so that could be a bit abstracted. But uh, his, his ability is an ultimate eye, and I guess it's sort of similar to the Sharingan from Naruto, where it's like uh, my my special eye gives me the ability to see things at a speed see things and react to things at a speed that you know the normal human eye just cannot facilitate and mm-hmm. uh you know i i don't think he's like you know it's not the sharingana he's not copying people's abilities and he's not uh he's not predicting their movements in a sort of like ninjutsu magic way but he is a deeply skilled combatant who is able to use this unfair advantage to essentially outplay all of his opponents at almost every turn and you have to be insanely skilled just to not instantly die from him and he is cutting a swath through these people and then he like makes it almost to i think the like central uh like the headquarters building that he's trying to get to uh or he's like in a part of it he's outside he was inside when he was fighting the tank but now he's outside again and he's not quite where he wants to be but uh, he's going to run into a couple of characters we know. Um, one of them is Buccaneer, who's a, a big loud boy with a metal arm from the Briggs Fortress. Uh, he is going to seemingly get right past Buccaneer. He's about to kill one of Mustang's subordinates when uh, Greed shows up and is like, what's up, bro? Let's fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem with fighting against against greed is it's not so much that he's gonna have a a really hard time with him. It's that greed has ultimate. He, I I don't know if it's called ultimate guard, but it's the ultimate shield. I believe is what it is. Yeah, I think and shield. What he is, what he is able to do though, is he is able to fight on par with Bradley because he is a- able to harden himself to the point where Bradley can't just immediately cut um, with a normal sword what he he could cut most people with. Because most people are dealing with, you know, uh, a, a, thin, a thin layer of their body that is just able to be cut normally with yeah. a sword. Most people call but, it skin. Yeah, yeah. Not Some Spencer, people apparently. do. <laughs> great we've learned a strange things about you today yeah a strange things about me <laughs> anyways um yeah so that uh that is going to be the way that that Bradley is going to normally deal with people but he is having a little bit more of a difficult time fighting against greed and it gets more difficult leading into the next episode which is called eternal leave and this episode we're we're really going to be dealing with the fact that more and more people are just like Bradley. Yeah. Let's go fucking fight Bradley. There's <laughs> yeah. Bradley over here. Let's get rid of Bradley. Yeah. I will say the greed thing is nice. Cause it's a bit of a grudge match because as I said, a thousand years ago and the previously on section greed is a homunculus who was killed and he was actually specifically killed by Fuhrer King Bradley. Uh, because he sort of rebelled against the homunculi, uh, because he's greed and he's his, you know, defining character trait is sort of being selfishly out for just himself. And so he didn't quite align with their goals and wasn't quite into like working alongside them. And so, uh, so King Bradley found him and killed him. And then his like soul sort of essence was returned to the, I don't know, primordial ooze that father is kind of maintaining to create his homunculi out of. And it was reformed and put into the body of Ling from Shing, 
And uh, now greed sort of like shares consciousness space with Ling. So they, they don't really comment on it, but basically like greed was killed by this guy before, but now he's in a new body is a slightly different perspective. And I think Ling is able to utilize his own skills as a sort of like ninja esque martial artist to more effectively maximize the abilities of the ultimate shield. Um, so where Fury King Bradley beat the shit out of him earlier because he wasn't able to harden himself fast enough. Uh, now he is able to react to that. Um, then like I said earlier as well, there's this guy named Fu and Fu is sort of an older man, but he is a, a super powerful, well, you know, uh, relatively speaking, not Naruto levels, but he's a very, very capable ninja bodyguard. And he shows up because greed, again, is in the body of Ling. Fu is Ling's bodyguard. And uh, Fu is not about Ling being greed now, but greed and Ling share a body. And he like saves greed. <laughs> he actually, this is like the best line in the show to date, maybe, where he's like, greed is like thanks for saving my ass and Fu is like i wasn't saving you i was saving the body of my master and greed goes well it's the same ass (laughs) which is just peak uh but then yeah Fu is like who is this guy that's trying to kill you and greed says this is fury king bradley and Fu, i was like how is he gonna react because he was very shocked at this and sort of stood staring at him in shock for a moment i was like oh what's going to happen? I I assumed he would just sort of jump in or just be like, humph. But instead he like stares at him for a moment. And then he's like, Oh, I haven't seen you before. You're the motherfucker who cut off my, my like granddaughter's arm. I'm glad I get the chance to kill you now. (laughs) So, so awesome. Yeah. He's like, good fucking. It's time to kill you then. And his like arm is shaking and they get into a, a dual fight um, where greed and uh, the and Fu are going to be fighting hand to hand, um, and s- sword to sword with uh, Fury King Bradley. The problem is that uh, they are still not going to be able to keep up with him. He is so insanely powerful that it turns into the the only thing that is going to slow him down at all is the fact that uh, oh god, I forgot his name already. Um, Um, Buccaneer Buccaneer um, Buccaneer is going to throw himself at King Bradley and King Bradley is going to be like fine I'll just stab you to death and Buccaneer is just like fuck you flex my abs holding (laughs) the sword in place so that he's just like unable to pull the sword out and uh, is very important (laughs) and so um, and so King Bradley is like shit uh, okay well I can't I can't immediately kill you this way. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, go and get some knives so I can continue fighting. Um, and it gets to the point where they're beaten down so badly that they, they're almost completely lost. Um, and uh, so Fu is going to knock out uh, Ling slash Greed, and he is going to throw himself with bombs strapped to his stomach into uh, King Bradley to destroy him yeah, which is hard to watch because you just know i mean king yeah. bradley is a half homunculus he is he was a, a a human who turned himself into a homunculus so he still ages it's just slower than normal as opposed to the other homunculi who were made whole cloth uh he he is a havesies but generally speaking the homunculi don't die the first time you kill them they come back yeah. and so even if yeah. this works it's not going to work it's so bad Yep. So he explodes himself, but not before he doesn't get to explode himself because <laughs> King Bradley is going to uh, slice off the tops of the grenades that he has lit with fuses and in the in so doing cut open his own stomach. But right before he falls to his death, he, he in midair, Buccaneer is going to stab through the old man into Fuhrer King Bradley, cutting open his stomach. And it's just such a fucking badass moment where he was just it's like, great. even 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 you can't see what's in front of you if, you know, I throw an old, a dying old man's body in your way. <laughs> yeah, it's super hard to see what's in front of you when people are just like throwing the near dead 
at you. You're just like, can we not? I'm trying to look, you know, you know, <laughs> we've all been there. You know, it's just what happens. So, every- yeah, it's, it is awesome. It's also a great sequence of like, these are like Fuhrer King Bradley has been established as a, an extremely dangerous presence, possibly the second most dangerous character that we've met outside of father himself. And here he is against three characters we like. And, yeah. uh, you know, the fight ends. Uh, I don't know that the fight is over. They they sort of steer away from it from the re- for the rest of this episode. But the fight ends with one of those three dead and the other two, you know, not in a place where they're able to defend themselves. And so you have this moment where it's like this is a crowning achievement for these underdogs, because even though they are, you know, they count amongst the, the large list of people who are our heroes, they are not supposed to win this fight. And this show is well written enough that they the only way they can win it is with great loss. And I think that's great. But now we're staring at this guy that's probably not going to die from a killing blow with two other people who are not so lucky. I mean, Ling is a bit of a... Uh, a a wild card there, but he's not going to be able to beat Fury King Bradley on his own, nor will he be able to stop Fury King Bradley from killing him on his own. So he can't, he can't survive if everybody else dies. And now one of the two people he was fighting alongside has died. The other one is, you know, not going to be able to stop himself from being killed. And it's this mm. moment of great tension. And then, uh, what's her, what's her name? Uh, Lon fan, who is the woman whose arm, was cut off by King Bradley the last time they ran into him, who her grandfather, her now just in the last minute dead grandfather, Fu, was, you know, fighting to avenge. And, you know, they kind of care for each other uh, on top of also being really committed to Ling. Uh, She shows up and is like uh, ready to uh, throw down with your King Bradley. And so that's a dope ass cliffhanger because I don't know what's going to happen. But we're going to yeah. move on to get an even bigger cliffhanger now. Oh, yeah. Because meanwhile, while everybody has been like, okay, we're just going to go about our ways and we're going to get out of town so that they can't sacrifice ourselves. And also, like, you're going to you're gonna stay here and you're going to continue fighting and that's fine. Okay? So we're all going to split ways. And uh, wait, what? What? There's a giant eye opening up underneath you. Oh, it's because gold tooth fucking bitch ass who's been fighting downstairs has decided that he is going to activate the the final portal thing that is in this world. And so he is going to um, because he activates this portal thing, um, I guess it's I guess it's just like a, a key to a larger. I think I think it's just a. What what would it be called? Um, because it's not a it's it's a circle inside of another larger circle. I can't think of the word um, for for what that would be. Uh, Can you think of a word for it? It's it's something where it's like, um, oh god, I I feel like it's like a it's like a key in in a tumble lock or something like that. I think it's what it's called. You're basically saying you, that this you know is what a I'm circle there, about, right? Are, you're t- you're saying that this is a circle they need to activate in order to activate the bigger circle. Is that what you're going to correct? Have? Yeah. So you know when yeah. you have like a when you have like a, a large lock that has a whole bunch of different locks as part of it. There's a word for it. I swear to God, people, please tell me what I'm trying to think of here. Yeah, I'm not 100. Um, percent This is not a vocabulary word that I've got, so I don't know, and I, I don't. I can't think of it off the top of my head. I don't exactly know how to Google it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're right. And there's a really cool moment, like the this guy. Uh, I think you you had a really good name for him, Gold Tooth fucking bitch ass. <laughs> yeah, Gold Tooth bitch ass. He has he's the dude who made Fuhrer King Bradley into a homunculus back when he was just a normal boy, and mm-hmm. they tried to do that with quite a few people. Uh, I believe when we got the backstory on how Fuhrer King Bradley was made, that we were led to believe that there were a series of attempts that failed and we were led to believe that those failed attempts uh, led to the death of the subject. And then they got another one. It seems that while that might have been true for some of them, that was definitely not true for all of them. 
And a lot of people who were trying, they attempted to turn into a homunculus king were actually turned into basically like half homunculus strong boys. And he now has an army of them and they're going to try and slash uh, Ed and his group up. And so they have a little fight and then they're doing okay. So gold tooth fucking bitch ass is like, I'm going to call the remaining ones to me and absorb them into this ritual for this transmutation circle. And it's in that moment that there's a really cool thing that I love. And I I agree with some criticism that I saw a long time ago of brotherhood that, uh, because full metal alchemist already happened, they cut some corners on some storytelling. And, uh, one of the corners that they cut is that the, in one of the first shots of the show, they sort of give away the fact that central is, uh, arranged like a transmutation circle. So, uh, unless you have forgotten that, you can probably see this coming from a mile away. And I think that this would have been a better reveal if they hadn't spilled those beans quite so ineptly. Uh, but that said, uh, this moment is when our heroes realize that that's true. And Ed is like, oh shit, this whole city is a transmutation circle. That is bad. And then he's like, a transmutation circle has five points. And we know that they've been making points underneath the laboratories, but there's only four laboratories. And then he remembers that there was a fifth laboratory that existed, but was abandoned. And so he had misassumed the information because he was only thinking of the active laboratories as spots. Then he realizes his mistake. And at that moment, it is too late. And Goldtooth fucking bitch ass enacts the transmutation ritual circle thing and consumes the oops, this didn't turn out to be a Bradley boys and uh, starts some sort of horrific something or other that has really fucked up consequences. And I want to know what happens. I want to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> because like one I one I was like, is this the the you know, the final ritual that our heroes have to stop uh, because I wasn't expecting it to just get going. But two, uh, a big fucking eye appears underneath Ed and Al and their teacher, Izumi, all of whom committed the alchemical taboo to try and bring a human back to life, all of whom paid a deep, devastating price, and all of whom who have seen the truth which is whatever the hell is at the other side of that like dimension that you you glimpse when you try to do this thing. And uh, they have uh, been able to sort of like shortcut alchemy ever since. And um, underneath all of them, a giant eye appears and then tendrils like shadow tendrils jump out of that eye and grab them and dissolve them. And so like our two main characters and their teacher have just been dissolved in front of the eyes of our other characters at the beginning of some horrific ritual that will probably dissolve everyone else into a philosopher's stone. And then the episode just fucking ends like I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah, it is. uh, It is pretty fucking brutal, to say the least. It's so Um, good. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's real, really good. And that's where we're going to leave it off uh, because that's the way the show works. Um, it's <laughs> going to leave you the news goes. Yeah. It's going to leave you with a, a beautiful cliffhanger and you're just going to have to deal with it until next time on Dragon Ball Z. Anyways, until we'll see you next four week. weeks from now or some amount of time because it's the holidays. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, we'll talk about what's coming on next week. Uh, next time. Just a minute. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 15 sound wizard. Fireball! 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 Ad-free versions of our podcast are available on Patreon, along with extra Patreon-only goodies, like additional conversations and articles written by the hosts. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. We also have a Discord server, and you can find links to that on our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. 
New episodes come out every week. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind, a geek-centric website that covers all manners of topics from video games and anime to tabletop games, board games, comics, and more. If you're looking for a website to add to your daily rotation for some of the latest news, reviews, and overall takes on where geek culture is headed, make sure to bookmark thegeeklygrind.com and pay us a visit. I also wanted to thank you uh, for being a faithful listener to this podcast. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is a vital member of our podcast family which also includes Knights of the World Table, which is a D&D audio drama podcast, The Ink and Paint Club, an animation podcast, Comic Book Keepers, which is a comic book podcast, and Geek Exploration, the podcast which is on general geek culture. We also have the Geekly Grind podcast, which provides audio renditions of our published articles, special guests, and more. Make sure to seek those out and listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, for real this time, we're watching Mob Psycho 100 Part 2, Episodes 10 and 11. I refuse. I refuse because I've already done a joke about this, Blake. I've already done... It's a, it's, it's, but we, the joke is already done, Blake. But we were, we were supposed to do a full metal one, and so this one's no. for real this time. No, this we already time. did the joke. The joke is... There, there's no more jokes to be made. We're done. We're done. Bye. Oh.